God loves you. He really loves you. And he wanted to reveal himself so we could know him. And together we could help the world. And so that is why we have the Bible. The Bible is his word to us. But so many people don't understand it. Or they've just been told the wrong things about it. So many things affect the way we interpret the Bible, look at the Bible, or think about the Bible. And you know what? Too often we become bored with the Bible. So this is a podcast to hopefully refresh our relationship with the Bible and in turn refresh our relationship with God. My name's Ken and I'm your guide on this refresh journey. And my prayer and hope is that it would be a fruitful one for both you and me. So welcome to my podcast. Let's dive in. Hello everyone. We are doing this daily thing. Um, We're in Matthew 21. Just reading through Matthew. And Matthew only has 28 chapters. So we should be ramping this up within a week or so. And maybe a little longer because some of these chapters might take a couple episodes. But either way... I'm wondering if the daily um, delivery of this podcast is a little overkill. So I'm enjoying it, but you know, if it's too much for you, let me know. Maybe um, five days a week, take the weekends off, or um, I don't know. Any feedback you have on that would be great because I don't want to kill people or anything like that. Um, obviously, they're podcasts, so you can listen to them however fast you want or however infrequent or frequent you want but i did seem to get up to like seven eight nine ten people listening <laughs> dropped down to three so i'm wondering if i'm killing everybody but for you for you faithful one to three hey i love you thanks for sticking with me anyways let's get reading it's been uh been a good little four day trip i had i kind of advanced some podcast until today so I got to jump back into it, and I'm grateful because I love doing this. I love reading the word and talking about it. So, English Standard Version, Matthew chapter 21. Let's begin. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So here we have up to this point, Jesus had transitioned into moving towards Jerusalem for the purpose of dying, and now he's entering Jerusalem. So what he does is he gets his 
disciples to go into this into the village in the town ahead and get a donkey and a colt and so they go in there and they just take the donkey and the colt and if you know jesus was like if anybody asks just say it's for the lord it just all worked out then we have matthew referring to this um, prophetic saying about the messiah and he says look they're going to come in on a donkey and a colt now, I don't know how someone rides a donkey and a colt. However, <laughs> that's what happens. That's what the prophecy says. Comes in on a donkey and a colt. And then it says they went and they got a donkey and a colt. And then Jesus rides in on a donkey and a colt. My only thinking is that, well, I mean, it would be kind of fun if he was like, you know, super all-star doing it, right? Like one foot, like circus, one foot on one, left foot on the donkey, right foot on the colt. Um, however, I just don't see that happening. So I'm like, maybe he was sitting on one and had his feet on the other. Maybe one was leading one and he was on one. Like, I, I don't really know. But there was a donkey and a colt involved and Jesus was, was riding in and he was fulfilling this prophecy, which is very important because Matthew, once again, is writing to a Jewish audience and He's trying to convince him that this is the Messiah they've been waiting for. Then what happens is as he's coming in Jerusalem, the people start breaking off palm fronds and laying them down on the ground and laying blankets down and yelling Hosanna. You know, and so this is what we celebrate today as Palm Sunday. So it's the Sunday before Easter Sunday. So we know we've just entered the final Holy Week here. And I love Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday has always been one of my favorite Sundays. In um, I grew up Catholic, and in the Catholic Church, on Palm Sunday, you actually get palm fronds. And so you get these palms, and the church I grew up in as a kid, they had a big, you know, entry, like, reenactment. Everybody had their palms, and they'd lay them down. It was just really cool. And then you would take these palms, and you'd tie them into two, and you make crosses out of them, or you just do different things. Then the fun thing is the next year... So the beginning of Lent, the next year on Ash Wednesday, the ashes are made from the palms from the previous Palm Sunday. But the main reason I loved Palm Sunday and still to this day love Palm Sunday is it's the one day in all of Jesus' life where he is finally honored the way he deserves. The people aren't coming to get something from him. They're not coming to get healed. They're not coming to get advice. They're not coming to challenge him. They're not coming to hurt him. They're not coming to you know, eat from him. They're just worshiping him. They're just honoring him as the prophet to come. They're just loving him. And I love that because for a, a, a split second, I mean, just a moment, God the Father gives Jesus this, this moment of being just acknowledged. And as he's entered in Jerusalem, He's entering into the hardest week of his life. And so just as he was entering into his ministry, God let him out to be tempted, to test him and to prepare him for his ministry. Here we see God giving him this blessing. It's almost the opposite. He's going to have a great ministry and he starts out with getting tempted. He's going to have a brutal week of just sacrifice. And so he starts out with getting blessed. Verse 12, and Jesus entered the temple, because now they're in Jerusalem, and the temple's where all the sacrifices are made. The temple is the, the heart of everything. It's where God dwells. 
So Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So Jesus walks into the temple, and what he's doing is, it's almost like he, he came to Jerusalem and went straight to the temple to do this. He was like, look, they're going to kill me anyway. It's time to make things right. <laughs> and so he goes in there, and he just clears things out. Now, what's he doing? Uh, the temple was the site of sacrifices. And what you needed to do was bring a sacrifice for different reasons. And if you couldn't afford, say, a lamb, then you would bring a bird. That's what the pigeons were for. And so there were different levels of economic viability for the sacrifices. So if you were, if you didn't make much, you bought something cheaper. And if you were able to, you brought a, a larger, a, you know, a more expensive sacrifice. There's nothing in the Old Testament law that says you have to buy this sacrificial animal from a specific vendor. And there's nothing that says you have to buy this sacrificial animal approved by anyone. It does say the sacrificial animal has to be without blemish. So you, you can't take a, a lamb or a sheep from your flock that's been injured or that's blind or something that makes it less useful for you because that's kind of like a cheating the sacrifice. However, the religious leaders who ran the temple, the Pharisees, they began to profit off of sacrifice. And they began to say that you need to buy our approved animals. And then they would up upcharge them. And so they were overcharging for these sacrifices. And that's what Jesus is talking about as far as being a den of robbers. Because they were robbing from the people. And they were robbing from God. Because these sacrifices are a sacrifice. Meaning you're giving something to God. So you're taking from your flock. Normally that's what it originally was. And... You're sacrificing something that gives you value to God. Well, here what they're doing is they're selling stuff. So they're taking some of the value that goes to God for themselves. And they're robbing from God. And they're overcharging the people for the animals. So they're robbing from people. So that's really what this scene is all about. Is Jesus is just clearing this out and saying enough is enough. Once again, now, remember the battle between Jesus and the religious leaders is, is at an all-time high. Well, this is kind of the first move Jesus does that brings the battle to them. Remember, they're always coming to Jesus trying to trap him. But here Jesus brings the battle to them and he takes away some of their profit. He, he goes after their pocketbook a little bit. Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So he's in the temple. He clears out the temple, messes up the prophet. Then all these blind and lame and sick people come to, the pro come to the temple for him to heal. So he's doing it in the backyard of the scribes and the chief priests and the religious leaders. He's doing it right in their temple. He's doing it right amongst them. And he's kind of bringing them shame. Because he's healing and making whole the same people that these religious leaders said weren't good enough to be in the temple. 
They were unclean. They were broken people, and that was done by God, and so they were outsiders. And they come to the temple, and Jesus makes them whole, therefore giving them the right to be in the temple. And so it's just, once again, flipping everything on their head, and they're crying out, Hosanna. They're crying out, that this is the Messiah, this is God, this is, uh, you know, they're worshiping him. And they're, the chief priest says, do you hear what they're saying? Tell them to stop. Tell them to stop worshiping you. And Jesus says, no. And he quotes this, this saying. All right, verse 18, and then he leaves Jerusalem, or leaves the main area. Verse 18, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, returning to Jerusalem, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Okay, so the fig tree thing has always been interesting to me. Uh, Jesus is hungry. A fig tree's purpose is to bear figs and to produce fruit. And it's not doing it. It's failing in its purpose. And Jesus is, you know, Jesus curses the fig tree as a result. It seems to me that Jesus is a little frustrated or on edge. Um, I don't know if he is, and I don't know if he can be because he's perfect and God and all that stuff, but it seems like he kind of is. He's in Jerusalem. He knows he's got a week before he, you know, he knows that he's about to go through some horrendous, horrible pain and suffering. And the weight of that's on his shoulders, as we'll see in a little bit. So he comes in and he's like clearing out the temple. Like, you know, he's just kind of like, it's kind of like enough is enough, Jesus, right? And he clears out the temple. Then he's like, this fig tree doesn't have any figs, so he curses the fig tree. Um, so it's just it's just interesting. Um, the other, you know, theologian part of me who says, well, Jesus can't, you know, sin and all this stuff, and maybe that being frustrated, frustrated or angry or whatever sin, you know, how can you have righteous anger at a tree? You know, says, well, you know, Jesus is making a point here. He's making a point that, you know, that which does not produce fruit shall be cast down. And he taught that to his disciples, that, you know, those who bear fruit will be rewarded and, you know, given more fruit. And those who don't bear fruit shall be cast away, taken out of the garden and thrown away. So this is just a physical representation of some of the things Jesus has been teaching for a while. Then the apostles... The disciples, they marvel that he said to a tree something. He cursed a tree and it withered right there instantly. And Jesus is like, guys, this isn't like that big of a deal. He's like, look, I I raised someone from the dead. I fed 5,000 people. I calmed the storms and the seas. So he's just like, this is very strange that you are, you know, thinking this is a big deal. And, you know, then he says, you will... You know, you will once again have faith. If you have faith, you'll be able to do greater things than this. And then he makes this this reference to the mountains being cast into the sea. Um, to my knowledge, no one's ever told a mountain to move into the sea, and it's happened. I, I don't know for sure. I've verified it, but to my knowledge, that hasn't happened. And what Jesus is talking about isn't 
for the purpose of moving mountains. He, they were talking about a tree. What's bigger than a tree is a mountain. You know, my, my faith is withering this tree. If you have faith and you do it in my name, you'll be able to do something much bigger than a tree. You'll be able to move a mountain. That's all he's talking about. So he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. There have been a lot of movements in starting in the 80s, I think. Anyways, in the modern era, uh, called the prosperity gospel. They take this verse, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And they've twisted it around to talk about, you know, gaining wealth, gaining power, gaining position. And so it's kind of the name it and claim it movement. If you want something, you pray in faith, you ask for it, you manifest it in destiny. Well, it's it's taking this this reference that Jesus is talking about. And if you didn't get the job or if you didn't get the girlfriend or if you didn't get the car or whatever, you just didn't have enough faith. And you need to give more money to me to increase your faith, right? That's the whole game. So Jesus is saying, you know, whatever you pray for in faith, you'll get. And it's an interesting statement, and it's similar to other things he said, whatever you ask in my name, where two or three are gathered. So there's there's this continuing teaching that Jesus is going to empower his disciples to accomplish their mission. And so I think that's the entire context of all this teaching, of when you build my church, when you take over building my kingdom— Whatever you ask in faith will be done for you. And we'll see them doing some of that later. And it has nothing to do with getting cars or gold coins. Okay, so let's continue here. Uh, The authority of Jesus challenged in verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come, from heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus, once again, is being questioned. He's being challenged by the priests and the religious leaders. And they're saying, what authority are you teaching? Right? He says, you know, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So Jesus knows, first of all, I don't need to answer these guys. In fact, he knows he needs to continually frustrate them and shame them because he needs them to kill him. And he doesn't want to ruin that. He also knows that what they are asking is is having him declare out front of everybody that he is God. They know that if he does this, he will be blaspheming himself in the temple. Because to blatantly say you are God is blasphemy. And it's, you know, you're to be killed by that. You're to be stoned. that's, That's punishable by death. And they're trying to get Jesus to blaspheme himself in the temple in front of a crowd, knowing that many will be shocked if they heard such a thing. And it would also give them account to charge him with something. And he's not ready quite yet. So he goes ahead and he turns the question back on them, and they're like, we can't answer this. 
because they did reject John the Baptist, and the people did see he was a prophet. So I'm going to stop here in the middle of 21, because uh, we've gone long enough. But what we see here is we see battle Jesus. He comes into Jerusalem with a purpose. God lets him be honored and praised, and then he goes in the temple and he wipes things out, and then he starts healing in the temple, and he tells the, the chief priests, like, you know, I don't do this by... You know, this authority, it's basically, I'm not going to tell them to shut up because, you know, they're doing what's right. Then they come and challenge him, and he turns it back on their head. And in the middle right here is this whole teaching about faith and the, the ability to do great things for the kingdom of God. Just like Jesus condemned the fig tree, which is a little funny. So that's the, the first half of 21. We're in Jerusalem, and we're heading towards Calvary. We'll, we'll finish chapter 21 tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.